This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So we're talking about four steps to answered prayer. Step number one, find the Word of God that promises you what you want. Or decide what you want from God and find the Word that promises it to you. That's the key. Folks, that's the key. Pray God's Word. If you don't get anything else out of anything else I say, please get this. Pray God's Word. Take the Scripture to God in prayer. He said to. He said, put me in remembrance. Well, why would God say put him in remembrance? Is God getting too old that his memory's failing? Why would God tell us to put him in remembrance? Has he forgotten what he said? No, not at all. He wants to know that we know. Because it's you knowing his word that makes the difference. Folks, I'm going to make another statement that turns a lot of people off. But it's true nonetheless. And that is this. You getting answers to your prayers depends more on you than it does God. Which explains why the church is so powerless in prayer. It's not God that changes. It's not God that's not coming through. It's the church. It's the individual that doesn't do the necessary and effective things to get the answers. Now, here's one reason why this does turn people off, because it puts responsibility on us. And most people don't want that. Most people don't want responsibility. Oh, let's just pray, Lord, whatever it is your will, you just let it be done. Well, folks, if the only thing being done in the earth is God's will, God is schizophrenic. Because some good things are happening and some bad things are happening. That's not how it works. How it works is God works according to his word. That's why the important uh, ingredient is you and I finding the words. So step number one is decide what you want from God and find the scriptures that promise you those things. Then another part of that step is meditate on those scriptures to get them down on the inside of you, not just in your mind, but in your heart, your spirit. Step number two, we talked about this. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. We'll remind you just real quickly about this. Step number two is ask God for the things that you want. And here's the second part of it. Believe that you receive them when you pray. We use this. The basis for this uh, step is Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus explaining about how the, the principle of faith works, tells us how it works in prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. he said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. That sounds just like what he said in John 15, 7. What things soever you desire, when you pray... Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice it doesn't say one word about God in that prayer. Again, the responsibility is on the individual. It's on the prayer. The one who prays. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now, again, that goes back to the criteria and the qualification of John fifteen seven. If his word's abiding in you, and here's the prayer of faith, expecting to receive from God. Here's the prayer of faith. So that means it has to be based on the word. What things soever you desire, based on his word. When you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you pray, the things that you're asking for, and you shall have them. When do you believe that you receive them? Before you have them. See, a lot of people, the natural man, wants to see it and then believe it. There's no believing, there's no faith necessary for that. You can already see it. You believe for the things that you can't see. Having is when you can see it. So what does he say? He says you have to believe that you receive the things that you ask for before you see them. See the point? 
Now, when you learn the principles, it's an easy thing to do. Up to this point, the devil really hadn't given you too much trouble. He may try to say, when you find the word and and try to use the word in prayer, he may try to say, well, you don't really think that's going to work for you, do you? But by and large, he's not going to give you a whole lot of problems. But as soon as you say amen to your prayer, I believe that I receive it in Jesus' name. At that moment, that's when the prayer battle really starts. Step number three is keep your heart from doubt. Back up a verse in Mark chapter 11 to verse 23. Jesus is explaining, well, we'll start with verse 22. He's explaining the principle of faith. He says, have faith in God. Now, this is in response to Jesus having cursed the fig tree and it dried up overnight from the roots. Peter called it to his attention and said, wow, look at this. Here's a a miraculous thing that happened. This tree was green and flourishing yesterday. Now it's dead. Looks like it's been dead forever. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Other translations uh, translate this different ways. One translation says, have the faith of God. Another translation says, have faith in God. I think all of them are appropriate. He's talking about faith. Now, who is this faith for? Some people will say, well, Pastor Mike, but I, everybody doesn't have faith like you do. Well, everybody can have faith like anybody can. Because he says in verse 23, he said, for whosoever shall say. He didn't qualify. He didn't say for the special ones. He didn't say for the gifted ones. He didn't say for the pretty ones. He said, for whosoever shall say. That means faith works for whosoever. Folks, whosoever means you. Whosoever means all of us. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now here's the qualifier for this, for the, for the, the operation of faith. And shall not doubt in his heart. Step number three is keep your heart from doubt. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Step number three is keep your heart from doubt. Now, folks, I want you to understand if he's saying shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, then he must be talking about believing in his heart. In other words, the condition of your heart is critical. Is it going to be a doubting heart or is it going to be a faith-filled heart? You've just prayed in step two. You've just prayed a faith-filled prayer. To get your, to get, to receive something from God because you found the word that promised you what you're asking for. Now, the prayer battle is all about determining the condition or maintaining, I should say, the condition of your heart. Maintaining faith in your heart and keeping your heart from doubt. Now, there's so many things that we can say about this, and we talked about this last time that we were together, but I really had on my heart that since this is such a crucial issue, and step number three is the, is the key. Step number three really is the key. Step number four, which is praising God for your answer is important, but you can't praise God from your, for your answer unless you keep your heart from doubt. So step number three is the one that, the, that your prayer is being answered or refused. Well, that's not a good way to say it. Whether or not you receive the answers to your prayer or you don't receive the answer to your prayer, God doesn't have anything to do with it. You do. But whether you receive or don't receive, all hinges on step number three, and that is keeping your heart from doubt. Now, in order to talk effectively about this, and we want to continue to do so, we did uh, last time, but uh, and we'll cover some of the same stuff we did before, but there's so much information in the Bible about this that uh, even today, if, if I tried to cover everything, then, then it's just going to be a, uh, a jumble of information rather than something that's going to really take root in your heart. So I'm trusting God to bring out the things that are necessary for us to say and, and hopefully needful for you to hear on this. But the principle is through, all throughout the Scripture. It's over and over and over again. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, writing to Christians, it says, Take heed, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, heart of, an evil heart of unbelief. What that means is simply this. 
It means you as a Christian, somebody that's made Jesus the Lord of your life, when it comes to your prayers being answered, when it comes to how God operates, when it comes to any number of subjects that we could identify, you can either choose to be in faith or you can choose to be in doubt. you got a lot of the church that's going to heaven, certainly is going to heaven, believes Jesus died for our sins, that believes things contrary to what the Bible says. They believe, for example, that God makes people sick. Well, you can't find any Bible scriptures to, to confirm that. You can find some translation points that say, yeah, well, God makes people sick and God causes this sickness and God does that. But if you study it out, you'll find out that that's the translation is the error, not the scripture. So you've got people that believe all kinds of things about God that are unscriptural, un, therefore untrue. God calls that evil. He says, beware lest there be in any of you. I think it's Hebrews 3.12. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He's not talking about the unsaved people. He's talking to Christians. Make sure you as a Christian don't believe anything contrary to the Bible because that's evil. God calls it evil. I want you to understand that. God calls it evil. Now, if we had a sermon today on things that are evil, well, we could make a big list. And lying and cheating and stealing and all kinds of things like that would be on top of the list and everybody would agree, yes, amen, those things are wrong. But how many of those same Christians in the church world today that agree that lying, cheating, and stealing are evil would agree that believing contrary to the Word of God is evil? Not too many people are going to agree with that. Not too many people are going to get excited about that. How many people are going to get excited about being told that their thinking about God is wrong because the Bible contradicts it? That's where you get arguments in the church because people try to stand up for and justify and defend their positions rather than take what the Bible says. Folks, that's why we have denominations. Because one group tried to defend their position against another group. Just telling you the truth. I don't believe God's ever been in any denomination. I don't believe he's ever been in the, the, the beginning or the starting of any denomination. Why? Because the Bible is for everybody. It's not for a group that calls themselves by name. It's for everybody. So what do we do? We have to recognize that everything that we take a stand on, think, act on, speak against, that is contrary to the Word. Everything that we take a position on contrary to the Word of God, in God's eyes, maybe not in ours, but in God's eyes is Evil. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. So all it takes is for somebody in the body that he's the head of, to take hold of the finished work of Jesus, to exercise faith to receive healing so that sickness is no longer a problem, and to exercise faith in the punishment that Jesus paid for lack and poverty so that's no longer a problem. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, this would be foolish for us to have a debate about what's more evil, believing contrary to the Word or lying, cheating, and stealing. 
If it's evil, it's evil. We don't have any, shouldn't want to have any part of it, right? That's what the Bible says to take care. That you don't have an evil heart of unbelief. Then we're going to have to identify something to know how to stay away from that. What does it mean to have an evil heart of unbelief? The example that it uses is back in Numbers chapter 13. Whoever the writer of the book of Hebrews is, uses the children of Israel in the wilderness as an example of an evil heart of unbelief. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 13 and let's see what happened. Numbers chapter 13, let me bring you up to speed on the, at the point in time that we'll begin to read. Children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt came out from under Pharaoh's bondage. God led them through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea for them. They went through on dry ground. Pharaoh and his armies chased after them. The Red Sea came back together and drowned them. Destroyed, God destroyed in one day the most powerful um, army, military force on the face of the earth at that point in time. One single act. Folks, God does not have a problem protecting you. I don't care how big the enemy is. I don't care how... Threatening the circumstance looks, God does not have a problem protecting his people. He wiped Egypt out, or the military force at least, in one moment. Now Egypt has come through. They've spent about two and a half years. Moses has gone to the Mount Sinai. He's gotten the word of God. They've had some issues over that period of time. But now they come to the edge of the promised land. It's about two and a half years, a little bit less than two and a half years after the Red Sea incident where God delivered them. They come to the edge of the promised land. This is the land that God had spoken to Moses to tell the people about even before they left Egypt. I'm leading you to a good land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's watered with the rains of heaven. All kinds of good stuff God's told them about this promised land. Now they're at the edge of it. The only thing that's that's delayed them between the time that they were delivered from Egypt and when they come to the edge of the promised land is two things. One is... They took time to receive God's instruction, the word or what we know of as the law, what the Bible calls the law of God. Secondly, it took them time to get from one place to another place and move five to seven million people from point A to point B. Now they're there. And so what does Moses do? He takes one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and sends them into the land to spy out the land and then come back and report to the children of Israel to report all the people, Moses and all the people uh, with him, tell us, What's on the other side of the boundaries? So they come back. And notice it says, it tells us about the 12 spies and their actions. It says, beginning in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel. And verse 27, and they told him and said, we came into the land whether thou sentest us. And surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Now, the, the fruit of it, and if we backed up a couple of verses, you'd find uh, that they took a cluster of grapes that they hung on a stick between two people to carry. Biggest thing anybody had ever seen. Two men are having to carry this one cluster of grapes. They brought back pomegranates that were bigger than anything that they'd ever seen. In other words, it's evidence, it's proof that this is a land that flows with milk and honey, just like God said. So they said, we brought back, um, uh, the, uh, we went into the land, came into the land, whether thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And here's the proof, here's the fruit of it. Verse 28, nevertheless. In other words, good news, bad news. Here's what we saw. The good news is, it is exactly what God said, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Bad news, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. 
And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? Were they expecting the land to be a wilderness? If it was a wilderness, how could it be a land that flowed with milk and honey? What they're seeing is the people that have cultivated the land that God has prepared for them. But they interpret it. They interpret it as, oh, these are people that are too tough for us. However, at that moment, up until this point in time, they haven't done anything wrong. Remember what the end result is, is an evil heart of unbelief in the people. So far, it's not there. So far, they're simply reporting, here's what we saw, here's the stuff we're bringing back. And we saw cities that have big walls around them. We saw strong people that live there. We saw children of Anak. We saw Amalekites. We saw Jebusites. We saw all, all other kinds of people. But up to that point, nothing has been done that indicates an evil heart of unbelief. And immediately, Caleb jumps in. Caleb stills the people. Folks, I want you to understand, the things that you see are designed by the devil to stir your emotions. Please understand, that's how the devil's always going to try to work against you. He's always going to try to bring thoughts to stir emotions. Caleb stills the people. What does that imply? It implies that the people are starting to get worked up. Oh, no. The children of Anak are there. The Amalekites. The Jebusites. The Canaanites are there too. Oh, no. And they've got cities. People are starting to get stirred up. But Caleb steps in immediately. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said. Everybody say the word said. Please keep in mind that what we saw about the principle of faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, was all about whosoever shall say. Your words are hugely important. If you're going to keep your heart from doubt, it really comes down to controlling your words. I'm going to make a statement that a lot of people will disagree with. You may be one of them. Your confession is the most important part of your Christian life. Oh, Pastor Mike, how can you say that? How can you say that your confession is more important than your love for God? Because if you don't confess Jesus as Savior, you don't get in. Forget this love for God stuff. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what are his commandments? To speak his word in part. That's part of it. I'll prove that to you as we go. So verse 29, Caleb stills the people before... Or verse 30, I'm sorry. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said... Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I want you to notice, Caleb was one of the twelve. He saw the same thing that the other ten saw. Caleb and Joshua are the only two that take a differing view. Caleb saw the same things that the other ten spies saw. They saw the fruit. They saw that it was a land that flows with milk and honey. They saw the cities with walls around them. They saw the people that were strong. They saw the children of Anak, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. They saw all the same people, all the same circumstances, all the same things. Now hold your finger here in verse or in uh, Numbers chapter 13 and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, notice verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. What is the fruit of your mouth? Words. That's what your mouth produces, words. A man's belly shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth or by his words, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. 
In other words, it says your satisfaction has something to do with your words and what you have, meaning what you're filled with, has something to do with what you say. Folks, very simply, if you don't like what you have, change what you're saying. Why? Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Notice it does not say the power of death and life are in the tongue. No, power is not in death and life. Power is in the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it, in other words, love the principle of you can have what you say, shall eat the fruit thereof. But there's a negative meaning to that too. Another translation, I think it's Taylor's translation, says it this way. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love to talk will suffer the consequences. Men have died for saying the wrong thing, it goes on to say. Now, folks, please understand that. Please notice, keep in mind, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Please notice it does not say death and life are in the power of what you see. It does not say death and life are in the power of what you feel. It does not say death and life are in the power of the things that you're thinking. It says the power that brings either death or life is in your tongue. In other words, in your words. What is Caleb doing? Caleb, back in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, jumps in when the people are thinking the wrong things. They're beginning to feel fear. They're beginning to accept the idea, the thought, the picture comes to them of failure. He jumps in and says, in order to still the people, to quieten everything down, he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What does that tell us? That tells us your words calm your emotions. Only your words can. Only your words can. The only thing that's ever going to defeat fear in your life are your words. That's it. See, some people try to attack it with thoughts. Some people say, okay, well, I'm not going to think things of thoughts of fear. I'm going to think good thoughts. That's good, but if you don't say what the Bible says about good things or good thoughts or victory or whatever it is relative to the fear that's coming against you, the feelings, the thoughts of fear will never, ever stop. The power is in your tongue. Now, folks, I want you to understand, the devil doesn't have access to your tongue. But what's the first thing that we gain supernatural access to when we're filled with the Holy Ghost? Our tongue. Isn't it interesting that the first thing, the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking with other tongues, is God's influence on your tongue that bypasses your mind? Isn't that an interesting coincidence? Why? Because God's more concerned about your tongue than He is any other part of your life. Why? Because the death and life are in the power of your tongue. Caleb jumps in and steals the people and says, let's go up and take it, for we're well able to overcome it. But, the next verse, if they'd stopped right there, if everybody had stopped and said, Caleb, are you sure? Are you sure? Really? Caleb could have said, yeah, sure. Remember the Egyptians? We thought Pharaoh was something. Look how God wiped him out. Well, yeah, he did, didn't he? Look at what he did for us in the wilderness. Look at how he brought water from a rock to, to, to satisfy five to seven million of us. 
Yeah, that's right. He did do that, didn't he? Look at how God came and talked to Moses in the, on the mountaintop. We saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the smoke and the fire and all that kind of stuff. And Moses comes down and his face is shining. This stuff is real. Yeah, that's right. It is, isn't it? But instead, and folks, please understand, it's a choice. You have the same choice that they have. I have the same choice they have. Everybody has the same choice. But the men that went up with him, the other ones that saw the same thing that Caleb saw. What's the point? The point is, you choose how you interpret what you see. Your choice. What you see is designed by the devil to make you think and to make you feel. But you choose what it makes you think and what it makes you feel. And more importantly, what it makes you say. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able. We be not able. We be not able. Oh, we be not able. We be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. Can I ask you a question? Even if they're right, who cares? Wasn't Pharaoh stronger than them? Wasn't the Egyptian army stronger than them? Did they think that coming out of Egypt would all of a sudden make them stronger than everybody else? Is that what they expected? Well, if so, they went way beyond what God told them. What difference would it make? Why aren't they thinking about Pharaoh in Egypt just two and a half years before? Have they forgotten so quickly? Yeah, but what about those walls? God parted the Red Sea. Can he part a wall? See, folks, they choose, just like you and me, we choose how we interpret what we see. We choose. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. Can I ask you a question? Why isn't verse 32 at the end of verse 29? Why doesn't it say, when they said, Here's the fruit of the land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Here's the fruit of it to prove it. But we saw the people that, that are there. They're strong. They've got cities with walls around them. The sons of Anak are there. The children of, of uh, the Jebusites, Canaanites, the Amal- Amal- uh, Amalekites are there. Canaanites are in a certain part too. Why doesn't the Bible say in verse, the, verse 29, and they brought up an evil report? Because they had not up until that point. Where does their evil heart of unbelief begin? When they take the circumstances, the things that they saw, and interpret them to speak against what God said they could do. That's the evil heart of unbelief. That's the keeping your heart from doubt that Jesus said would rob you of blessings. The Bible says that the two elements of faith are to believe in your heart and to say with your mouth. Your words carry power in your life. Jesus went so far as to say that we would have whatever we said. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we learn to speak God's Word. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. He's there to administrate. We're here in the field. He's at the home office. 
we're in the field. That's the only difference. We've been given his authority to use in the field. We've been given his place in the field. We have the same place with God, holy and without blame, as Jesus does himself. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.